Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, August 4th, 2022, the 561st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I want to start out, as always, with a warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. Doing so, you will be supporting me and the work I do and supporting this show. You'll also have first access to all the podcasts, all the interviews, all the writing. And so if you like what I do and you like keeping up day to day, that's how to do it. Now, I want to start out today kind of where we left off yesterday. I joined my friend Brian Lupo, who's now writing for the Gateway Pundit. I joined him on his live stream last night, he goes by CanCon, and we discussed, among other things, the primaries from Tuesday and the results as they're coming in for the Kerry Lake race in Arizona. We waited all day yesterday for an update at 7 p.m. local time in Arizona. They said there was 125,000 
outstanding ballots. And they gave us an update of about 5,000 votes that changed virtually nothing in the separation we see between Carrie Lake and Karen Taylor Robeson, who is seemingly the benefit of a well-orchestrated election fraud effort. And before anything else, I just want to throw this out there. Karen Taylor Robson has the option to concede and just end this. We don't actually have to wait for Katie Hobbs and Stephen Richer and the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors to finish their job. It seems pretty clear like they're trying to find a way to make sure that Carrie Lake is not the GOP nominee for governor in Arizona. They do not want Katie Hobbs to have to debate Carrie Lake. That would be the point at which the whole jig would be up. Carrie Lake will not back down from discussing election fraud and Katie Hobbs role in that election fraud in that debate. This is Katie Hobbs worst possible nightmare. So you can imagine that the system as it is, is going to do whatever it can to make sure that doesn't happen. But this is not only the fault of the Democrat communists in Arizona. It is also the fault of the Republican establishment and the uniparty communists in Arizona. Karen Taylor Robson was supported by the National Party. She was supported by Mike Pence and Doug Ducey. She is the choice of those who want to cover up the election fraud in 2020 and putting Karen Taylor Robson in a position to have to debate Katie Hobbs is part of the effort to do that. All of them could decide right now to just end this, have Robson go out and concede that she lost. She did lose. And the power would be immediately taken away from Katie Hobbs and all of the uniparty communists around her. But there has been no sign to this point that they intend to do that. And I'm of the mind, as I said on CanCon's show last night, that maybe that's just fine. Go ahead and try to steal this thing with everyone watching. Carrie Lake certainly isn't going to back down. This is Republican versus Republican. This has absolutely nothing to do with Donald Trump, at least not directly. I mean that in the sense that people are going to realize the claims of election fraud are not just being made to keep Trump in power. This isn't Trump's cult trying to protect Trump. This is an entire movement saying we can see what you're doing. You're trying to prevent this MAGA warrior from being the GOP nominee. You're trying to save Katie Hobbs and save the election fraud apparatus that is continually used in Arizona to put illegitimate people in office. And again, I'm happy to let this situation play out. I might reassess. Maybe the GOP establishment is doing something really good by allowing this process to continue. I just kind of doubt it. What will people around the country say? What will people around the world say as this process drags out? Other statewide races have already been called. If there are this many outstanding ballots in the governor's race, how come that's not enough to affect other races? Why is this situation different? Also, consider this. We used to vote in small precincts. And when we see the election results come in over the course of a night, what we used to see 
is 80% of precincts reporting, 90% of precincts reporting, 98% of precincts reporting. And the precinct would put their total vote in and that would be added to the total and that's it. Now everything is run out of these centralized election centers. That's where they do all the vote counting. And now they tell us how many votes they have left to count. And if the number sounds high, we think, oh, that's going to take a while. Now they're going to do the process perfectly. Everything is going to be very careful for these last votes. Those other votes, those were the easy ones to count. These ones, these are the hard ones to count. These ones you can only count 5,000 of per day. And if we're only counting 5,000 a day with 125,000 outstanding, that means it's going to take 25 days for them to figure this out. How is that possible for just one of the races? And why is it acceptable to anyone? This is a disgrace. How does this lend anything to the argument that the machines are necessary to make the process more efficient. The most efficient process is having the ballots hand counted, getting a correct total in a small precinct with limited numbers and chain of custody and accountability on who counted these ballots. And all the precincts are staffed to the level that is needed to process the vote of the people in that area who vote at that precinct. The responsibility is decentralized. The process is completed during election day and then following the closing of the polls, they get a final count, they cross all the T's and dot all the I's and they send that in. And by the end of the night, there's a result. That's the system we used to have. It's entirely possible. It doesn't matter how many people end up in America. The growth of our population is not the reason for the machines. A big population does not necessitate the machines and countries with very small populations have these machines too, and they have the same problems. Why is that? If the reason for the machines is efficiency, the machines have failed on that level too. But let's see how the mainstream media is handling all of this. And the good people at Steve Bannon's war room put this package together. So hat tip to them. 24 hours after the polls closed. It did not, though, stop the Trump-backed candidate, Carrie Lake, from again declaring victory during a press conference yesterday. Reporters pressed her repeatedly about her claims of voter fraud and about why she's claiming victory before official results have been announced. Why is today's press conference premature? What do you mean premature? Premature because nothing has been finalized right now. Because we know what the outcome of this is. We the people won. We won. But you said this election was messed up. You said you have evidence of cheating. Why should voters trust that you won this election fair and square? Elections are just such a mess. Well, we have a lot of evidence of, of in irregularities and problems, and we're going to address those. I'm not going to release it to the fake news, but we'll release it to the authorities. Why not release it right now? If it's real. Uh, Why would I release it to a bunch of people who deny that there was fraud when there was obviously fraud? You got to love Carrie Lake. Why would she give the evidence to the media? Why would she give her evidence to people who have refused to accept the obvious truth that there was 
overwhelming evidence of fraud in the 2020 election. Not only fraud, maladministration, lawlessness, however you'd like to describe it, that election was stolen. It wasn't just rigged. It wasn't legally stolen. It was stolen illegally. And there's no way in the world that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes. So why in the world would Carrie Lake turn to the mainstream media to disseminate the truth about this primary election? Carrie Lake doesn't need them at all. The mainstream media wants to spend their time telling the American public that everything Carrie Lake is saying is a lie. They want the evidence so they can go out and debunk it for everyone. But let's get back to the MSNBC story. And this is Morning Joe's sidekick, Willie Geist. Lake's campaign attorney took over on further questions, declining to expand on her claims of voting fraud, instead saying the campaign is moving on. So, Charlie, she's built herself into this box, which is to say that there is going to be fraud in the election. She was sort of paving the way in case she lost to call it into question. But now when it appears she's won, she's still saying that the election was, quote, messed up. But she believes she won, which calls into question her own election. And by the way, the secretary of state and the nominee there, Mark Fincham, has said the same thing after he won more clearly. He said there were irregularities in the election. They're talking about elections that they won or in her case appear to have won. Now, if you're a person with a normal, fully developed, fully functioning, adult-sized brain, you can answer those questions pretty easily. He hasn't found some strange hypocrisy or inconsistency in Carrie Lake's claims. He's relying on two separate things that everybody knows. Everyone in the CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, kind of Fox News, Everyone trapped in the central narrative when it comes to election fraud has accepted two parts of this claim he's making to somehow prove that Carrie Lake is insincere in her claims of election fraud. The first is that claiming election fraud is what you do if you're afraid of losing or if you lose, you can say it's stolen. Because you're not willing to accept the outcome of an election. You're threatening our democracy. You're just being a sore loser. So that's the first part. That makes no sense. There are, in fact, other reasons to claim election fraud. The best of those reasons is there was election fraud. Claim two. Claiming that election fraud happened somehow taints your victory. How do you know you won if you're saying the elections are fraudulent? Well, there are ways to know that you've won. They've got internal polling. They know turnout numbers. They know who turned out where. They know what everyone in Arizona can sense about their own communities. They know that virtually no one even knew who Karen Taylor Robson was a few weeks ago. And there's certainly no groundswell of support behind her. She wasn't hosting big rallies and big events. She didn't have thousands of small dollar supporters. She didn't even really have a campaign. She rushed in on the backs of rhinos and Democrats in Arizona, a ton of money behind her, and she got establishment endorsements. 
That's her entire campaign. Of course, she didn't win. But the other thing is, Carrie Lake's position is go ahead and don't believe me. Go ahead and count all of the ballots in full view of the public. Be perfectly transparent about the election. Audit what just happened and you will see that I won with the legitimate votes. Elections are not decided by the Associated Press, no matter how many times the mainstream media says it. The media does not call the winner of elections. They can report on the winner of elections. But we have this idea that whoever won is the person the TV says won. Elections are set up so that they can be audited. That is the evidence trail. That's what the votes are. If you want to know who won, check the votes. Carrie Lake knows that illegal things were happening, that illegal votes were coming in, that votes are attributed to dead people and ghost voters. Ballots are harvested. Signatures are not matched. She knows about maladministration and the skirting of these laws. Stephen Richer was announcing himself that they were providing the ballot marking tool, which is a Sharpie rather than a ballpoint pen, knowing that can cause bleed through that sends ballots to adjudication. She knows a whole range of ways that they are trying to steal these elections and they have in the past. I know we won. And if you don't believe me, go ahead and check. Either way, there's still a bunch of illegal stuff going on is not the least bit inconsistent. She did not paint herself into a corner. Or build herself into a box, I think is what Willie Geist said. It's absurd. Unless you are a child brain who follows the mainstream media and have accepted both parts of that ridiculous narrative. This is never Trump Lincoln project friend, Charlie Sykes, who still pretends to be a very responsible conservative on MSNBC. So we've moved past Donald Trump's big lie into something that's like a metastasizing cancer on democracy, where candidates um, routinely now are going to question the legitimacy of elections, including elections down ballot. Uh, I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was interesting that the the media asked her, "Okay, so how do you know you won if you're saying that the election uh, was if, if there was fraud, if it was rigged?" But unfortunately, I, I think when you see the number of election denialists who are winning across the country. This is going to be this is going to be the new abnormal uh, that you're going to see more and more candidates just, fl you know, throw out completely baseless charges about the election. And, you know, that over time that is going to have a corrosive effect on the public's confidence in elections. So uh, strap in because everything that we've experienced over the last uh, several years is uh, going to continue and it may get worse with people like Kerry Lake in the spotlight. Welcome to the new abnormal. Charlie Sykes has now figured out and now told the MSNBC audience of child brains that elections are going to be questioned down ballot, too. Now, why would people be so adamant about doing that when all of these claims are so baseless? There's no evidence, no evidence whatsoever that anything could ever go wrong with these elections, no matter how many days we count them for, even though we've called other races. 
How could she come out and tell people that she won the race, even though the Associated Press hasn't said so? Can you even believe that she's not asking the media first? What is she, some kind of individual human using her own agency and thinking for herself and telling the truth about a real situation that she's more than happy to prove? How dare she? Doesn't she know that if she doesn't ask an authority, if she doesn't say the things that everybody knows and that everybody's allowed to say, then she might get in trouble? Why doesn't she care about getting in trouble? Ooh, that Carrie Lake, that bad, bad Carrie Lake. She's not welcome in our sandbox anymore. This is going to have a very corrosive effect on the public's trust in elections. Yes, Charlie, it is. That's kind of the point. Alerting the entire public to the fact that their elections are stolen. And if their elections are stolen, it's not one person, one vote. And we're not the ones suppressing the vote by demanding voter ID. No, you're the ones suppressing the vote by literally suppressing the vote, literally stealing the vote, literally canceling people's votes and diminishing the value of their votes. You include a bunch of false votes. You take the value of my vote down from one and you reduce it. If instead of six real votes, you count six real votes and four fake votes, what you've effectively done is made each one of those six people's votes count for only three fifths. Where have I heard that before? And whose votes counted for three fifths? Now, if the votes of slaves counted for three fifths and my vote counts for three fifths, what does that tell you? But silence yourself, slave. Don't you know you're going to get in trouble? Here's Maricopa County Board of Supervisors member Bill Gates. Now, this is not the creepy globalist pervert Bill Gates. This is just Maricopa County Board of Supervisors Bill Gates. And I know it's hard to believe that there could be two Bill Gates who are this evil. But hey. We live in strange times. Bill, what's at stake here? Well, there's a lot at stake, and I would say it's the future of the Arizona Republican Party, if not the future of this democracy here in the state of Arizona. As you you mentioned earlier, we have several of the candidates now who are going to be the nominees of the Republican Party here in Arizona who are anti-democratic, small d. They don't believe in democracy. They don't believe in our election system. Uh, look, I talked to the lawyer who headed up the election day operations for Arizona Republican Party yesterday. He said we had a great election. It ran very smoothly. And yet Carrie Lake is saying that there was fraud, that they outvoted the fraud. So they're lying about this. They have a narrative that they're trying to push, and it is very dangerous. So the attorney for the GOP in Arizona says this was the safest and most secure election of all time. They ran a clean election. There was no fraud. We don't even know what they're talking about. I mean, sure, they didn't have ballots for Republican voters in Pinal County, but that was just a human error. And yeah, they intentionally told people to use 
the pens that you're not supposed to use to fill out the ballots. But that, too, was just human error. And, yeah, it might take upwards of three weeks to count the ballots remaining in Maricopa County, but it's going to take that long because we're following the law so well. What about that? Don't you understand? Safest and most secure election of all time. And what's going to happen if you question it? Well, this might be the end of the Republican Party in Arizona as we know it. And if that happens, oh, our whole democracy might crumble down around us. These election denialists, as Charlie Sykes says, well, they just don't respect our democracy. And the way we can prove that they don't respect our democracy is because they're not waiting around for the media to tell them who won the election. They're prepared to say that the elections aren't being run properly just because they aren't being run properly. But did the Associated Press say that yet? No, they didn't. Therefore, it's not true. Now, the funny thing is that all of these people involved in Arizona elections and involved in the establishments of both parties in Arizona and truthfully beyond Arizona are basically reaching the end of the road. If Carrie Lake is announced the winner, then Katie Hobbs is actually going to have to deal with questions about all of this. That is the nightmare. And what happens if Carrie Lake wins and Blake Masters wins and Abe Hamaday wins and Mark Fincham wins? They're going to investigate Arizona elections and the corrupt people in the Arizona legislature and in the establishments of both parties and the secretary of state, they're not going to be able to stop these elections from being investigated. Yeah, they might try to delete all the data in another month when the 22 month limit from the 2020 election actually comes up, but they're starting a whole new 22 month clock with what they're doing right now. And the problems haven't gone away. So the investigations won't be going away. All of these people may well end up in office in Arizona. And what then? What then? What happens when the evidence actually begins to come out? How can they hide it at that point? It's really too bad that these people haven't flipped and become whistleblowers and cooperated with the people who know that these elections are stolen because they themselves know as well. They're part of it. It's too bad they haven't done that because that might be the only way to save some ounce of honor, whatever honor they have remaining. And it might actually reduce their prison sentences, but they don't seem to be taking that option. And the other option will be prison. It's going to be prison either way. They have committed grave crimes against this country. They have violated their oaths. They have lied to their constituents and there's going to be hell to pay. It's incredible that still at this point, 21 months later, they still believe they're going to get away with this. And it really is incredible that the secretary of state, Katie Hobbs, who runs these elections, is the candidate who's going to be facing off against Carrie Lake. Does anyone trust her to run a lawful election? with her own personal freedom on the line. 
And this might be even worse for the mainstream media. I mean, it's almost as bad as it can get. But when election fraud actually breaks into the public understanding, there's going to be hell to pay for the media, too. They are once again completely missing the target on what the American public actually cares about. Rasmussen released some polling that measures the public attention on a bunch of individual issues. Here's the stuff the media is focused on. These are the media's top five issues. And the question was whether you were concerned, very concerned, not at all concerned about these issues. Number one, the media's number one midterm issue, climate change. 64% of the country is concerned. 39% is very concerned. Ukraine war, 60% important, 20% very important. The Capitol riot investigation, 57% important, 41% very important. COVID-19, 57% concerned, 22% very concerned. And LGBTQ issues. That's the fifth place answer for the legacy media. 42% support, 23% strongly support. That's what the media is focused on. But none of these issues even crack the top 10 on what Americans are actually concerned about. Rising gas prices is number one. 92% concerned, 68% very concerned. Inflation. The economy, energy policy, violent crime, election integrity is number six. More Americans are concerned about election integrity than every single one of the top five issues the media is concerned with. School issues, and this is still 76% concerned. We're still up at that level. Abortion rights, election cheating. So that's two issues in the top 10, just about elections that are bigger than the five top priorities for the legacy media and illegal immigration is in there at number 10 with 73% thinking that's important. 42% very important. Those numbers are bigger than every one of the top five issues. According to the legacy media, they have no idea what the American public is actually concerned about. And it's funny because in a prior age, the media would be able to export these priorities onto their audience. Their audience would agree with the media about virtually everything and their committed audience, the people who actually still pay attention to CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and the Atlantic and Politico, all these nonsense propaganda rags. They're still totally dialed in on these subjects. It's just that no one else is. And that's rather shocking. The more the media focuses on all these issues, which are the very issues they need to be able to sell to the public to keep any of this going, right? The whole agenda collapses once no one believes in any of it anymore. These are the most important issues to them. These are the ones that they are trying to sell you. What does the television want me to believe? They want you to believe that. They want you to believe that climate change and the Ukraine war and the Capitol riot investigation, COVID-19 and LGBTQ issues are the biggest priorities in the country. That's what the television wants you to believe. That's how they keep the agenda rolling. But they've lost it. 
And the harder they press, the more out of touch they seem. And the more out of touch they seem, the more people simply turn them off. And that's what I said at the very beginning of this year. When I changed the format of the show, I said, this is the narrative endgame. This is what it looks like for that process to play out over time. Now, changing subjects without a segue. This is Fox News Today. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis suspends Soros-backed state attorney who refused to enforce abortion ban. Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis suspended liberal state attorney Andrew Warren on Thursday. DeSantis made the announcement during a Thursday press conference broadcast on social media. DeSantis argued that Warren has repeatedly refused to enforce laws passed by the legislature, cracking down on child sex change surgeries and abortion restrictions. We are suspending Soros-backed 13th Circuit State Attorney Andrew Warren for neglecting his duties as he pledges not to uphold the laws of the state, DeSantis's office said in a statement. The 13th Circuit falls over Florida's Hillsborough County. The Constitution of Florida has vested the veto power in the governor, not in state attorneys, DeSantis said. We are not going to allow this pathogen of ignoring the law get a foothold in the state of Florida. Officials said Warren has repeatedly tried to install himself as an adjudicator of what laws will and will not be enforced. DeSantis' office has teased the Thursday move on Wednesday saying the announcement would not be political or related to endorsements. This isn't about abortion or any one thing. It's about having accountability to our system of law and order to prosecute crime. There has been a pattern developing in Hillsborough County where one person picks and chooses which laws he wishes to enforce, his office stated. And this, I hope, will be the start of a trend. And maybe I should say the start of a reversal of a trend because what this state attorney is doing has been done all across the country, big cities all across the country, the attorney generals of the states, the district attorneys and the state attorneys have taken it upon themselves to decide which laws they have to enforce and which laws they don't. And this is a common theme among Soros installed state attorneys and district attorneys. They are trying to change the law and the enforcement of the law by installing their people in these roles. And we see this exact sort of corruption go all the way up to the Federal Department of Justice and Attorney General Merrick Garland. They've refused to enforce laws about protesting in front of the homes of Supreme Court justices, for instance, in places like Los Angeles and San Francisco. They've refused to enforce their laws about homelessness and drug use right out in the open in the middle of the day and theft. We saw them refuse to prosecute people who were arrested during riots. And of course, they're trying to do away with the idea of bail completely. They want these criminals brought in and then immediately let go. They're not even prosecuting all of the violent crimes at this point. And that matters because it's not like they're only confined to refusing to prosecute what you might more ably call victimless crimes, like the drug use in the middle of the day, for instance. 
And this stuff needs to be seen for exactly what it is. These people are refusing to enforce the laws of the state. The laws of the state, ideally, and the way it's supposed to be, are decided upon by the representatives of the people. These are the people's laws. And those tasked with enforcing the people's laws have to do it. They don't get to decide that the laws don't apply when they're in office. But that's exactly what they've been doing. And if they do that without anyone holding them accountable, then they keep doing it. And that's just the way things are now. Kind of like the way things are now is that we expect to wait days or weeks for election results. At some point, if you apply this same principle to all aspects of government, it's pretty easy to see how what follows is the breakdown of law and order and the breakdown of society. So hopefully we'll see more governors around the country begin to do this and begin to reverse this awful trend. But this is a great move and good on Ron DeSantis for making it. Now, I haven't spent a whole lot of time on Ukraine lately, but this popped up today. This is from Amnesty International. Ukraine, military endangering civilians by locating forces in residential areas, according to new research. New, in quotes, by the way, because I've been and many other people have been talking about this now for weeks, if not months. Schools and hospitals used as military bases by Ukrainian forces. We have no say in what the military does, but we pay the price, says a resident in the city of Bakhmut. Being in a defensive position does not exempt the Ukrainian military from respecting international humanitarian law. That's a quote from Agnes Calamard, and she is a French human rights expert who is the secretary general of Amnesty International and was involved prior with the United Nations Human Rights Council. The Ukrainian military has endangered Ukrainian civilians by establishing bases and operating weapon systems in residential areas, including in schools and hospitals, as it is sought to repel the Russian invasion, Amnesty International said today. Ukraine's tactics have violated international humanitarian law as they've turned civilian objects into military targets. The ensuing Russian strikes in populated areas have killed civilians and destroyed civilian infrastructure. This was a conspiracy theory, we were told, when we were all saying it. But now it's Amnesty International saying it, so it's fine. Not every Russian attack documented by Amnesty has followed this pattern. In certain locations in which Amnesty concluded that Russia had committed war crimes, including in some areas of the city of Kharkiv, Amnesty did not find evidence of Ukrainian forces located in civilian areas unlawfully targeted by the Russian military. Between April and July, Amnesty researchers spent several weeks investigating Russian strikes in the Kharkiv, Donbass, and Mykolaiv regions. Amnesty inspected strike sites, interviewed survivors, witnesses, and relatives of victims of attacks, and carried out remote sensing and weapons analysis. Throughout these investigations, Amnesty found evidence of Ukrainian forces launching strikes from within residential areas, as well as basing themselves in civilian buildings in 19 towns and villages in the regions. Amnesty's Crisis Evidence Lab analyzed satellite imagery to further corroborate some of these incidents. 
Most residential areas where soldiers located themselves were miles away from front lines and viable alternatives were available that would not have endangered civilians, such as military bases, densely wooded areas, or other structures further from residential areas. In the cases it documented, Amnesty is not aware that the Ukrainian military asked or assisted civilians to evacuate nearby buildings, a failure to take feasible precautions to protect civilians. The mother of a 50-year-old man killed in a rocket attack on 10 June in a village south of Mykolaiv told Amnesty. The military were staying in a house next to our home, and my son often took food to the soldiers. I begged him several times to stay away from there because I was afraid for his safety. That afternoon when the strike happened, my son was in the courtyard of our home and I was in the house. He was killed on the spot. His body was ripped to shreds. Our home was partially destroyed. Amnesty researchers found military equipment and uniforms at the house next door. Mikola, who lives in a tower block in a neighborhood of Lysyshansk, Donbass, repeatedly struck by Russian attacks, which killed at least one older man, told Amnesty, I don't understand why our military is firing from the cities and not from the field. Another resident, a 50-year-old man, said, There is definitely military activity in the neighborhood. When there is outgoing fire, we hear incoming fire afterwards. Amnesty researchers witnessed soldiers using a residential building some 20 yards from the entrance to an underground shelter used by the residents where the older man was killed. On 6 May, in one town in Donbass, Russian forces used widely banned and inherently indiscriminate cluster munitions over a neighborhood of mostly single or two-story homes where Ukrainian forces were operating artillery. Shrapnel damaged the walls of the house where Anna, 70, lives with her son and 95-year-old mother. Anna said, Shrapnel flew through the doors. I was inside. The Ukrainian artillery was near my field. The soldiers were behind the field, behind the house. I saw them coming in and out since the war started. My mother is paralyzed, so I couldn't flee. In early July, a farm worker was injured when Russian forces struck an agricultural warehouse in the Mykolaiv region. Hours after the strike, Amnesty researchers witnessed the presence of Ukrainian military personnel and vehicles in the grain storage area, and witnesses confirmed that the military had been using a warehouse located across the road from a farm where civilians are living and working. The Ukrainian military is literally using civilians as human shields. That's what this is. They're putting themselves in civilian areas so that they can say if they're attacked, the Russians are committing war crimes. And the question we should be asking is, why is the very heroic comedic actor who is now on par with Winston Churchill directing the Ukrainian military to do all of this? And what role does the United States of America's evil twin faction have in directing this military operation? And another good question would be, why does all of Western media focus on what Russia's doing and paint the Ukrainian military under the guidance of the comedic actor as just heroic? They're defending our democracy and their very sovereign borders. And let's jump down a bit. If you want to read the whole article, it's available in the newsfeed t.me slash I'm your moderator. 
military bases in hospitals and schools. Amnesty researchers witnessed Ukrainian forces using hospitals as de facto military bases in five locations. In two towns, dozens of soldiers were resting, milling about and eating meals in hospitals. In another town, soldiers were firing from near a hospital. A Russian airstrike on 28 April injured two employees at a medical laboratory in a suburb of Kharkiv after Ukrainian forces had set up a base in the compound. Using hospitals for military purposes is a clear violation of international humanitarian law. And remember, we were told that Russian forces attacked a maternity hospital. We got the pictures of that Instagram influencer rushing out with her baby. And we were told that the Russians were war criminals. We were told we were conspiracy theorists for spreading that true story that the Ukrainians had already cleared out the maternity hospital weeks before so that they could set that up as a base of operations. And where was the Western media? The Ukrainian military has also routinely set up bases in schools, in towns and villages in Donbass and in the Mykolaiv area. Schools have been temporarily closed to students since the conflict began, but in most cases, the buildings were located close to populated areas. At 22 out of 29 schools visited, amnesty researchers either found soldiers using the premises or found evidence of current or prior military activity, including the presence of military fatigues, discarded munitions, army ration packets and military vehicles. Russian forces struck many of the schools used by the Ukrainian forces. In at least three towns after Russian bombardment of the schools, Ukrainian soldiers moved to other schools nearby, putting the surrounding neighborhoods at risk of similar attacks. In a town east of Odessa, Amnesty witnessed Ukrainian soldiers using civilian areas for lodging and as staging areas, including basing armored vehicles under trees in purely residential neighborhoods and using two schools located in densely populated residential areas. Russian strikes near the schools killed and injured several civilians between April and late June, including a child and a woman in a rocket attack on their home on 28 June. All of this was a conspiracy theory just a few months ago. These were things that no one was allowed to say. The Ukrainian military was very heroic and there weren't really neo-Nazis in there. I mean, there were some, but they weren't really in there. I mean, Volodymyr Zelensky is Jewish. How could you even say that there were Nazis in the Ukrainian military just because there are Nazis in the Ukrainian military? And we know they're very brave. They are saving our democracy and protecting the sovereign borders of this very important nation. And Russia is attacking schools and hospitals and civilian areas on purpose. They want to commit war crimes. And because we know they want to commit war crimes because they're the very bad people and the Ukrainian military, they're the very good people. It doesn't matter. If Ukraine was violating international humanitarian law first. But the time of all this being a conspiracy theory has passed. 
Now people aren't as heated up about that aspect. So now we can include this information in the set of things that everybody knows. And while it's okay that it's in the set of things everybody knows, it's still not in that subset of things that everyone's allowed to say. You can admit that you know it's true, but that doesn't mean you're allowed to say that it matters. Ukraine's military is still very heroic. And yes, everybody knows that there are some neo-Nazis in Ukraine's military, but you're not allowed to say it. You're not allowed to say that that matters because the comedic actor is Jewish. So if you assert that this Jewish leader is directing a military filled with neo-Nazis, that's anti-Semitic. I mean, fine, it's factual. It's in the set of things everybody knows. It's just not in the subset of things that everybody knows that encompasses the things everyone is allowed to say. You're not allowed to say it. Knowing it is fine. Saying it is a conspiracy theory. And now we can know what a conspiracy theory is because the United Nations will tell us UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization has put out a report titled Addressing Conspiracy Theories Through Education, UNESCO Guidance for Teachers. And this has actually been out a few weeks, but I just saw it for the first time yesterday. Conspiracy theories thrive in troubled times with serious real-world impacts. In the horrific mass murder recently targeting African Americans in the U.S. city of Buffalo, the alleged suspect invoked the false Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory, which purports there is a plot to replace people of European ancestry, driving an international white supremacist narrative founded on racism, anti-Semitism, and anti-Muslim hatred. Now, they failed to mention that the alleged suspect in Buffalo was a leftist. They're also failing to mention what the actual substance of the Great Replacement Theory is and the fact that we can see it in operation in Europe and in the United States of America. And it has nothing to do with race. It has to do with the fact that our government, in coordination with drug cartels, is flooding our country with millions of illegal immigrants who once here will be exploited for their labor and for their political power. Bringing illegal immigrants into a country to exploit their political power at the cost of the political power of the citizens of that country is the substance of the replacement theory. Education can play a central role in building the resilience, knowledge, and analytical skills needed to pre-bunk and debunk conspiracy theory narratives, including through media and information literacy. To strengthen educational responses through advocacy, research, and training, UNESCO and the European Jewish Congress organized the International Symposium on Addressing Conspiracy Theories Through Education on 27 June 2022 in Brussels to convene academia, governments, civil society, and the private sector for joint action. Isn't that so great? Public-private partnerships in action to thwart conspiracy theories. Whenever there is another murder, killing spree, or terrorist attack, 
Whenever there is a new manifesto chock full of conspiracy theories and hatred, whether you think of Utoya, Norway or Christchurch, New Zealand, of Halle or Hanau in Germany, of Pittsburgh or El Paso in the U.S. or Buffalo, New York, just a few weeks ago, each and every time it was conspiracy theorists who became the perpetrators of unfathomable violence. Tobias Ginsburg, a journalist and theater director who has investigated German conspiracy theorists and right wing fringe groups, said at the symposium, I wonder if he knows that there are other things that tie these mass shooters together, like involvement with federal law enforcement and involvement with mental health professionals. The event also launched UNESCO's advocacy report addressing conspiracy theories. What should teachers know? The report is an introduction for educators working in and outside of formal schooling on how to identify, prevent, and address conspiracy theories. It seeks to provide educators with key definitions and essential knowledge to grasp the complexity of the phenomenon and alert learners about the key characteristics and harmful effects of conspiracy theories for a first immediate response. The fight against conspiracy theories and the anti-Semitic and racist ideologies they often convey begins at school, yet teachers worldwide lack the adequate training. That is why today UNESCO is launching a practical guide for educators so they can better teach students how to identify and debunk conspiracy theories. Audrey Azale, UNESCO Director General, said, this builds on the wider work we are doing to strengthen media and information literacy to better prepare learners to navigate a world of algorithms, artificial intelligence, and invasive data collection. Well, that's interesting. I thought they were just navigating conspiracy theories. You're bringing up algorithms and artificial intelligence and invasive data collection. Those are conspiracy theories too, I thought. The complexity of conspiracy theory narratives and the psychological mechanisms that underpin belief make challenging them very difficult. Well, that's because they're based on evidence and obvious connections like financial incentives and attachment to certain agendas. And while we're at it, not to divert too far, let's go to their actual report. This is UNESCO's document. Addressing Conspiracy Theories, What Teachers Need to Know. Right on the first page, the Global Education 2030 Agenda. UNESCO, as the United Nations Specialized Agency for Education, is entrusted to lead and coordinate the Education 2030 Agenda, which is part of a global movement to eradicate poverty through 17 Sustainable Development Goals by 2030. Education, essential to achieve all of these goals, has its own dedicated goal four, which aims to, quote, ensure inclusive and equitable quality education and promote lifelong learning opportunities for all. The Education 2030 Framework for Action provides guidance for the implementation of this ambitious goal and commitments. So that's the 2030 agenda. This is the education part of it. This is UNESCO's specialized field. But of course, the 2030 agenda 
is a project of the United Nations in coordination with the World Economic Forum. And we all know about the World Economic Forum's corporate partners. If you haven't been listening to the show that long, go to weforum.org, move over to their partners page and search through the list of partners. You will find the most massive transnational corporations. You'll find world banks. And if you dig farther into the World Economic Forum's partners, you'll find organizations like the National Governors Association. If you begin to look at their young global leaders, you'll find people in our government and many other governments around the world. Again, they're not hiding any of this. This is their actual agenda. You can watch this actual agenda being implemented in the world. You can see who their partners are. You can know the World Economic Forum's code of conduct, which says that their partner organizations have to abide by the World Economic Forum's agenda and cannot speak out against the agenda. They have reporting mechanisms for anyone who might potentially do that. It's not a conspiracy theory. They admit it. And not only do they admit it, they brag about it. This is the goal. They are happy about it. They want you to come on board and agree with them that all these goals are good. And I guess if all these goals are good, then it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just our project. And it's okay that everybody knows. It's just not in the subset of things that everybody's allowed to say. You can know it because it's true, but you can't say it because that's a conspiracy theory. If you have any problem with their agenda, you're a conspiracy theorist. This symposium and report support educators to explain why conspiracy theories are so popular and how they cause damage. Well, they're so popular because oftentimes they're true and provably true. And people realize that these organizations and the connections of these organizations and the agenda they're implementing actually affect people's lives. That's why they're so popular because they're true and because they matter. Help identify and dismantle conspiracy theories, share strategies to develop people's resilience to conspiracy theories. And the best way to be resilient to conspiracy theories is to make sure that you never believe anything unless it's communicated to you through an official mouthpiece of the authoritative source. Providing practical advice on when and how to speak with learners who believe in conspiracy theories. Yep. You better tell them how wrong and how stupid and how crazy they are immediately and let them know from a young age that they're crazy and stupid and wrong. Because if you don't let them know early, they might start thinking about all of these true things and how they connect and why that matters. And you would never want someone to understand any of that. Help teachers to create a classroom climate that is conducive to respectful dialogue and critical thinking, so long as that respectful dialogue doesn't include any of the things you're not allowed to say. And the critical thinking is good as long as it doesn't lead you to any conclusions that might not support the global agenda. 
The public symposium was followed by a closed expert segment to identify ways to integrate an educational lens into existing research and advocacy projects on conspiracy theories to strengthen education systems in response to this global phenomenon. It is all the more important to prevent people from adopting conspiracy theories at an early stage and to build resilience in society and educational systems. Nicola Beer, vice president of the European Parliament and special envoy on combating religious discrimination, including anti-Semitism. Teachers have such great influence on our youth. It is crucial to be able to discuss mechanisms and the danger of conspiracy theories in classrooms, strengthen critical thinking, as well as empathy in order to challenge stereotypes and hatred. The report is based on the Conspiracy Theory Handbook and informed by UNESCO's work on media and information literacy, preventing violent extremism, addressing anti-Semitism, and addressing hate speech. UNESCO's Hashtag Think Before Sharing social media campaign jointly launched in 2020 with the European Commission in cooperation with Twitter and the World Jewish Congress to respond to the growing spread of conspiracy theories during the COVID-19 pandemic. The symposium is organized in cooperation with the European Commission, the Cambridge University Social Decision Making Lab and the Alfred Landecker Foundation. And to read this statement and the supporting documents, you can find all of this in the info stream t.me slash I'm your moderator. And a few interesting things have popped up while I've been recording the show. So I want to share those with you before we go. Joe Biden has tested positive for COVID for the sixth day in a row. His second round of COVID now six days in a row of positive tests. So Joe Biden remains in his little quarantine, his little COVID bubble. He has a pod with his other illegitimate White House staffers, and they probably share tips on how to properly make other people mask up and what to say to the Uber Eats driver if he doesn't follow CDC guidances. Joe Biden, we're told, got the first two doses of his mRNA vaccine, really an experimental gene therapy and not at all a vaccine, doesn't prevent transmission, infection, serious illness or death. But thank goodness, because none of the covid variants actually cause serious illness or death unless you follow the CDC protocols. And then you are putting your life in the hands of people who have been absolutely wrong about everything. And we can clearly see have lied the entire time. Joe Biden got, we are told, two booster shots of the mRNA experimental gene therapy. Those four shots did not prevent him from coming down with the China virus. To treat his case of the China virus, he took Pfizer's Paxlovid, which they're now distributing at pharmacies without a prescription. You just need to walk into the pharmacy and say, please, sir, can I have Pfizer's new drug? And they'll give it to you. Does Paxlovid get rid of your COVID? Does it help you live as a healthy individual? No, it doesn't do either of those things. But it does make Pfizer billions and billions of dollars treating the very illness 
that the experimental gene therapy was meant to stop. And of course, these are all among the set of things that everybody knows, but they're not among that subset of things everyone's allowed to say. If you say all of these true things, then you're a conspiracy theorist. If you note, for instance, that the same people involved in the creation and manipulation of the virus in the lab are the ones who created the experimental gene therapy that does not work at all and in fact causes terrible health consequences, and that those are the same people who have created Paxlovid that also doesn't work at all and also creates terrible health consequences like rebound COVID that the fake president currently has now for six days in a row. That's a conspiracy theory. And speaking of Jovid 19, also known as Jovid 19% among independents and wholly invented health crises by the people making billions and billions of dollars on the wholly invented health crises and the various treatments that don't work at all. Joe Biden and his Health and Human Services Secretary, Javier Becerra, have declared a national emergency on monkeypox. Now, until these very astute experts change the means of transmission of monkeypox, monkeypox is a disease that is transmitted through gay sexual contact. So it is by definition not possible that it is a national emergency. But who cares about that? As Corinne Jean-Pierre said a week or so ago, declaring a national emergency opens up new funding and new powers for the state. So that's why it's happening. And finally, due to the disastrous administration of the primary election held two days ago in Pinal County, Pinal County's elections director, David Frisk, has resigned. He's going to be replaced by longtime county recorder Virginia Ross, who will resign her position and take control of the county elections department. Here's the press release. In light of recent issues with Pinal County's primary elections, the county can announce changes in the leadership of the elections department. David Frisk is no longer in the position of elections director and is no longer employed by Pinal County. David Frisk just came down this cycle from Washington State to run Pinal County's elections. As a result of discussions with the Board of Supervisors and county leadership, and in order to restore confidence for voters in the November election, recorder Virginia Ross has resigned from her elected office and has been appointed elections director effective immediately. Ross is an experienced and highly respected professional who, prior to being elected as the recorder in 2012, enjoyed a progressive career in the private sector for Fortune 100 and 500 corporations, Rider Systems Incorporated, and IBM as a certified project manager, telecommunications manager, and senior contract negotiator. Despite rumors to the contrary, Ross did not oversee the elections department for this primary election in her role as the county recorder. Ross was in charge of Pinal County elections in her first term in 2014 and 2016, 
But with the growth of Pinal County and as a result, an increase in recorder responsibilities, an elections director was brought in to oversee the elections department from 2017. Since that time, the elections department has reported to county management, which is overseen by the board of supervisors. The board of supervisors will hold a special session meeting in Florence on Friday at 1115 a.m. to appoint a recorder to see out the remainder of Miss Ross's term, which runs through December 31st, 2024. So this is pretty clear. This is Pinal County saying directly that the elections director, David Frisk, has been moved out of his role in light of recent issues with Pinal County's primary elections. Now, what issues are those? Well, I went through them earlier. They made it extremely difficult for Republican voters to cast their votes in Tuesday's primary. So Bill Gates of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, when he goes on CNN and he tells the audience of CNN's child brains that the GOP's attorney said they've run a very clean election in Arizona. That's simply not true. If that was true, David Frisk would still be in his position. He didn't do his job. He failed. And that's actually probably giving him too much credit. It is most likely that he's actively involved in the election fraud scheme and participated in it. We should hope that this move has necessitated his whistleblowing in order to preserve his own freedom, potentially. But we shall see. Things are getting very interesting in Arizona. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.
It's hell!